friends, um, I just want to say that there has been something really special about our worship life over the last, um, well, actually, I'm going to say this. There's been something really special about our worship life, um, in particular, since December 31st, since New Year's Eve, when we were kind of standing on a cusp moment. Every single um, Sunday morning when we come and we gather in this place, I just know that when I get in my car, I'm going to walk away with my heart feeling full because of the worshipful work that we have done with one another. It's not to say that what we were doing in December or in November or in October didn't matter, but I do think that there is um, a level of anticipation and expectation that permeates through this room when we have gathered with each other um, in, um, in 2024. Before I get too far down um, this uh, uh, sermon, let me also say this. Because um, there has been something so special about worship, there have been more of us who have showed up for worship on Sunday mornings. So I might just invite you as you have like seats beside you, if you see one of our ushers coming and one of our hospitality volunteers, that you might let folks know if there are seats where people can sit around you. Okay, back to what I was saying before. I remember that um, Adjua, my director of operations, invited me to say some things that I almost forgot about. Y'all, I was too happy about that $3,000 pills getting paid for and worshiping with you all. Here's the thing, though, about um, our worship life in 2024 that does feel pretty interesting, is I feel like what we do on Sunday mornings has been spilling out into our lives, as though like Sunday morning then becomes the overflow on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And um, when I remembered this, or, or how I, you know, began to uh, think about this, is I was in the store, and I recognized that the whole time I was in the store, I kept on singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. I could not stop singing that psalm because two weeks ago we sang that song and, and I truly I thought that the her, third heavens were going to open up. So here I am in Target singing so much that some people thought like it was the Bluetooth moment, like I'm talking to them, but I really was, I'm just singing through the, all the aisles, you know, on the end caps, just singing, and I could not stop. But I come from a people who sing as they go. It's, it's, it is, it's, just, it's just in me. And it's not just songs like, oh, we shall overcome, sing as you go. Uh, uh, individuals who, um, whether you're at a dinner table or you're at a parade or you're in a hospital room or you are just walking down the street, I grew up with individuals who always had a song on their hearts. And you know, in, our, in my church, some of you might have had this in your church, we had two hymnals. We had the United Methodist hymnal, and then we had the Songs of Zion, black and gold, that black and gold book. Um, and I want you to know we, um, in regards to the black church or the black United Methodist church, we did not come up with this name, the Songs of Zion. But the Songs of Zion were like the hymns that were just a little more lit, you know, like they took you up. <laughs> they really took you up. But it's not the black church that came up with the Songs of Zion. Songs of Zion actually denotes a category of psalms. The psalms are the songbook of scripture. And there are a category of psalms called the Songs of Zion. They were the particular songs that the people of God would sing whenever they were making a pilgrimage, potentially when they were going to the temple or they were going from one place to another place. So that's when they would sing a song of Zion. The psalm we're going to read this morning, Psalm 84, is one of the psalms of Zion or the songs of Zion. Uh, psalm 46 that has that very famous line, be still and know that I am God, is actually one of the songs of Zion. Uh, I remember, like it's a song of remembrance in very difficult times. This psalm that we're going to read this morning 
um, this appointed psalm for the day is one that helps us to know that we can also sing as we go. I'll also say this about Psalm 84. It's a very full psalm. And if I had gone with everything in this psalm this morning, the um, sermon would easily be 45 minutes, but I'm not going to do that to us, not this Black History Month. <laughs> but next week, do know that uh, we might do part two in Psalm, um, psalm 84. This psalm, this song of Zion that helps us to do our worshipful work. Hear now again these words that Donna has um, read for us this morning to ground us, and now these words to enliven us. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at the altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. God bestows favor and honor. No good things does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A rabbi friend of mine uh, reminded me not too long ago of this really beautiful and powerful image within um, the rabbinic tradition and within the Old Testament. Um, she reminded me that when when God was going to pass over the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt, which is where we get that word for the celebration Passover, basically God was going to preserve the lives of God's people, that um, the women among um, the people of God were instructed before this great moment of liberation, when, before they were going to take an excursion from Egypt into the promised land, for them to pack stringed instruments. That before this liberation moment, the women of God, as they are spared by God's Passover, were instructed to pack up cymbals and lyres and stringed instruments, instruments of praise. Notice, they're about to take a wilderness wandering, and God does not ask them to pack uh, weapons of war. No, 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 no. They are instructed of all the things you need when you're going to go from a place of enslavement into the promised land, into a place of uncertainty, into the wilderness, Pack instruments. Why? Because even in the wilderness, even in the uncertainty, even between the, the dreaming and the coming true, God wanted God's people to know there were going to be moments, even in those hard places, that they could break out in praise. That maybe breaking out in praise would be the most powerful thing they could do on their journey. And I would say this about the theology of worship, however we worship, that worship reminds us of who we are and also who God is. 
when you are hungry, when there is no water, when you don't know how long the journey is going to be, worship reminds us of who we are and also, too, of who God is. Now, if you think this is hokey, that the women of God were to pack up instruments for the wilderness, I want to share that even within our own church tradition, that this is also central to how we believe. We trust, at least in the United Methodist Church, that worship is central to our life together. We believe that everything we do actually starts from the overflow of our gathered time together on a Sunday morning or whenever God's people um, gather for worship. So worship doesn't only have to be on a Sunday morning, but however we gather and we remind ourselves of who we are and also of who God is. When I was writing my ordination papers and I had to write about worship, I knew the right answer was to say, worship is central to the life of the church. Not secondary, not the third bullet point, it's central. Now, um, it's because of this idea that humankind's chief end is to glorify God and to love God forever. That we were, we were created to worship God. And so this is where we, we bump into um, a version of ourselves that looks like the God-breathed self. That we know that the gifts that come into our lives are not from what we hustle or earn, but we, we offer up praise because God pours out good gifts. So we, we understand ourselves in this place. Now, we have used this space for lots of things. A youth town hall, leadership onboarding. Last week or two weeks ago, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, the doors of the church have been open every single night. The bags <laughs> are the evidence. Power training, uh, a premarital uh, uh, cohort, workshop and cohort. We use this space for lots of things, but we also use this space to pray and to sing and to connect and to correct and to call in, to doubt, to believe, to bump into new realities about ourselves and to hold on to the unwavering promises of Christ. Now, I want you to know that worship doesn't have to look one way. I'm not talking about, oh, you got to be cathartic in worship. Everyone's not necessarily moving all around and their Fitbit isn't going off, you know, during the midst of worship. Worship is also like um, that of Howard Thurman, who is considered to be like a black contemplative. Quiet, even your quiet can be like worship to God because your heart is forever interceding and speaking and doing things. Meditations of the heart is, is just as beautiful as saying things with your mouth. But in everything that we do, we believe that we first start here. That it's here in the midst of like the gathered worship experience that we know and we believe of God helps to shape what we know and believe about ourselves. It's this particular sentiment about worship, that worship is so good and central to our lives that is so beautifully reflected in Psalm 84. Some scholars would say that if you want to talk about gathered worship or the power of worship or the beauty of worship, Psalm 84 is where you need to, where you need to hang your um, hat. Because um, it starts off, how lovely is your dwelling place? Or actually, how beloved is your dwelling place? My heart longs and faints just to be singing in the house of the Lord. It says that even in the house of the Lord, the sparrow and birds um, find a place for rest. That there's something so lovely about the house of the Lord or a gathering space that even sparrows 
can rest on the altars of our God, that all of creation can participate also in this worship experience. That those who um, are in the house of the Lord are happy or they are blessed. Depending on if you read it from the New Revised Standard Version or the New International Version, they'll go back and forth between happy are those who are ever singing God's praises. If I had a thousand tongues, I would praise you with them all, even till I'm hoarse because of all that you have done for me. Blessed are those who always have a song on their lips. And then this hyperbolic um, declaration is made in the latter part of Psalm 84, which some of you might have um, heard reflected in a song, that a day in the courts of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, you know. One day in your house. <laughs> I want you to know that it's, it's meant to be hyperbole, um, but it's speaking to, there is something so beautiful about being in the house of the Lord that we would rather do that than other things. But what Psalm 84 also helps us to understand, and this is where I want us to, um, to kind of fall today, and that is that worship is not just limited to space. Remember I said that I grew up in a tradition where you sing as you go. It wasn't always when you're sitting in a pew with red carpet on the ground. But no, 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 no. That worship in Psalm 84 is not just limited to space. This is the beauty of the pilgrimage songs. They give you songs to sing while you are moving, where you are on the go, when you're not in this place, when there's not someone sitting beside you is telling you that there's a God who can move mountains. It's like, no, 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 no. You can sing about a God moving mountains on the third aisle in Target. Because these are the songs that you take with you, that you take with you. And so um, in Psalm 84, this, there is this um, understanding from scholars that as um, the people of God are journeying to Jerusalem to worship, they already begin their worship in anticipation and the ways in which they're going to encounter God in the house of the Lord. But they believe that even as they're going to that place, that they can encounter God even in the movement. So it's not like, once I get there, it's like, you know what? Because I know what's going to be there, we're already going to start. This is our dress rehearsal. We're going to talk about God's goodness. We're going to talk about God's glory here in the wilderness, even as we're making our way to the house of the Lord. In verses 5 through 7, the psalmist says that the people journey from strength to strength. I love that image that God empowers and enlivens the people that as they're making this journey, they, they walk from strength to strength. Like, you know, if you've ever been in a parade or you know how you just like, you start to, you start to like get caught up in the swell. But it's not just the drum beat or the DJ. It's like God is moving God's people in such a way that they feel empowered and strengthened. And it says they move from strength to strength as they journey through the valley of Baca. And let me stop here. Ooh-wee. The valley of Baca is best translated the valley of weeping. The people journey from strength to strength, through the valley of weeping. And it says that as they make the pilgrimage through the valley of weeping, that they begin to create springs in the valley of Baca. Then it says, and the autumn rains come. But it's first, it is, the, it is those who are moving through the valley of weeping. Their praise turns it into like springs, pools. 
pools of provision in the valley of weeping, not tears, but instead water that brings life. Let me read it for you. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. They're making their way to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The pilgrims make the valley of weeping into a place of springs. Do y'all hear me, somebody? And then the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. But everything they leave behind, they leave a trail of joy. What they believe through their worship is then reflected in the places that don't seem so worshipful. Where there is weeping, their songs bring some joy. Where there is pain, their presence brings a balm. The pilgrims are a blessing in the midst of the places that are not so worshipful. You know, every Black History Month, I can't not think of the very human people in my life who shaped my understanding of myself as a black woman. And mostly, I, I, I will reflect on the, um, the church mothers. I call them the church mothers because they were the, uh, generally the elders um, in my church who just loved me. And Hazel Limehouse, I, good gracious, um, she was one of, she's like my patron saint. Every third Sunday, she would... Um, she would cook for my family, and we would eat at her house. But here's the thing about um, Hazel Limehouse's um, life. I mean, she was a person who's, I mean, she, she understood what it was to not get to stay in school because of, she had to share crop. She understood a life where she worked in a person's home, and she could cook beautiful meals, but she could never be invited to sit down at the same table and eat. And every single Sunday, I did not understand this. But whenever we had communion, oh, what a beautiful thing it must have felt like for her when she would put on her little white gloves and the doily and those white kitten heels and the uninterrupted white. And she would get to place out all the communion elements. Yes, she could not sit at the master's house. Oh, but she could put forth the table for the one who is the creator of all things. Now, um, Sister Hazel Limehouse was definitely a person who had like um, a, a playlist. There were certain songs that she would sing spontaneously in the midst of worship. My favorite one, come on in the room. Come on in the room. Jesus is my doctor and writes up all of my prescription and gives me all of my medicine in this prayer room. There is joy in the room. There is joy in the room. Jesus is my doctor, and he writes up all my prescriptions, and he gives me all of my medicine in this prayer room. But she would also sing as she would go, which means that as you were eating macaroni and cheese at her table, she might sing, come on in the room. Come on in the room. Jesus is my doctor, and he writes up all my prescriptions, and he gives me all of my medicine in this prayer room. I imagine that when she was working in someone's house, come on in the room. Come on in the room. Jesus is my doctor, and he writes up all my prescriptions, and he gives me all my medicine in my prayer room. I do not think that Hazel Limehouse thought she had to sing and worship where she went in order to convince God to be at work in her life. I don't think she thought it was a transaction. I just think that Hazel Limehouse believed that wherever she was, whenever she had a praise break, 
even in a moment of great despair or a moment of great joy. Her worship was just simply declaring what God was already doing. She was going to leave a trail of joy everywhere she went. It's like the Bennett Bells at Bennett College when students from North Carolina A&T were protesting Aggie Pride, and I didn't even go to A&T, but I know better. <laughs> Donna, Margaret, Dedrick. As students would be placed in paddy wagons for their act of resistance, the Bennett Bells would sing, don't let nobody turn you around, turn you around. Oh, they had a song in the Valley of Baca. A commentator um, in a commentary of the psalm says that wherever the pilgrims go, they bring blessing. That wherever the pilgrims go, they bring blessing. I think of how people on a Sunday morning will say, I got what I needed. Oh, you know what? This is, I didn't know this is what I needed, but I got what I needed. I might also challenge us to ask ourselves, when we got what we needed, and when we're singing a song, and when we're praying a prayer, when we're anchoring ourselves in scripture, when we're in the midst of contemplation, we're in the midst of believing or even doubting, coming with our small faith or our big faith, that we might believe that our songs also pierce war cries, that our passing of the peace is also an antidote to a world that is so broken that we practice here for the journey beyond here. That we come to this place, and yes, we get what we needed, but we also come to this place and we take what is needed. We take what is needed. Friends, pack up your instruments of praise. It could be instruments of contemplation and quiet. It could be cathartic. You might have a song as you go or a song on your heart. But might we believe that in this place that sometimes feel, feels like wilderness, that all we need is to be pilgrims who bring blessings because we packed our instruments. May it be so. In the name of the one who creates all things and who gives us a song. Amen.